I don't know whether you'd agree, but there's, there seems to be quite a lot of worry at the moment about the end of the world. I don't know whether that's all the case or whether it's just particularly at the moment, but it seems to me that that's uh, happening. Um, you know, perhaps in days gone by, you might have had a man with a sandwich board sort of shouting, you know, the end of the world is coming. Um, but I think we've got that sort of thing going on at the moment, haven't we? Um, Greta Thunberg said this. People keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. Because the end of the world is coming. Now, I don't want to be too political. I don't know what your view is about sort of climate change and that sort of thing. But the point is that people are thinking about the end of the world. Did you know that in this country, the birth rate is currently in decline and the decline is getting quicker because... People don't want to have children and bring them into a world which is possibly going to end soon. Um, In fact, (laughs) Hannah and I are having a baby. That's our news at the moment. I hope you think that's... uh, uh, Thank you very much. Um, I hope you think that's uh, a a positive thing rather than an irresponsible thing. But many people increasingly think it is irresponsible to be bringing children into the world because the world, many people believe, is going to end soon. Now, (laughs) of course, the world will end It will end at some point. Not that we should live irresponsibly and hasten its demise. And of course, we as Christians have got more reason than anybody else to look after the creation that God has made and live responsibly. But despite whatever we do, the world will not go on forever. And as Christians, we believe that actually that's because the whole world is in fact in the hands of God. The whole world is in his hands and God is good and he's loving and he's got a plan. And so actually when the world does come to an end, it won't be an accident. It will be deliberate. It will be because God has said now is the time. Well, why are we talking about the end of the world? It's because, as we've been saying this morning, actually we're in the season of Advent now. And the season of Advent is about looking forward to the day when Jesus will come again. When he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. That's why we sung a minute ago, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Really, that's a prayer, isn't it? When we sung that hymn, if you like, we were actually, we were praying for the end of the world, you might say. We were asking for the Lord Jesus to return. And so that's why this is the reading for this morning. If you look at verse 31, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, heaven and earth will pass away. So what does Jesus have to teach us about the end of the world? Well, three lessons I think we can draw from what he says in this chapter. Uh, All beginning with C. Don't be consumed. Don't be contemptuous but don't be complacent. So first of all, don't be consumed. You know, some people are absolutely consumed with thoughts about the end of the world. And uh, Christians as well. Have a look at verse 24. The passage we read starts off, Jesus is quoting a prophecy here when he says the sun will be dark and the moon, you know, the stars, the heavenly bodies. And so some well-meaning Christians have become absolutely consumed with this, trying to work out, well, what are these signs that Jesus is talking about. What is going to happen? They've been peering into the sky with their telescopes, trying to work out when is the end of the world going to be? When is Jesus going to return? There have been any number of different people who've tried to predict it. We've probably all heard it come across Nostradamus. Nostradamus isn't Christian, I don't think, but it's not just Nostradamus who's predicted the end of the world. Actually, it's fascinating reading. You can go on Wikipedia and there's a whole page of failed apocalyptic 
prophecies, failed doomsday predictions from the likes of... Actually, it's an amazing list of people. It includes Christopher Columbus, Isaac Newton, a couple of popes, Pope Sylvester II, Pope Innocent III, Martin Luther, John Wesley, and so many others have made all of these predictions about when the end of the world is going to happen. And all of them have been proved wrong. If any of them have got any sense, if they're making a prediction about the end of the world, you best predict it well after your own (laughs) time will be up. So it's not embarrassing when the day comes and goes and you found that your prediction is to be wrong. And that's what happened to William Miller. You can read about William Miller. He managed to persuade 100,000 people to sell their possessions and flee to the mountains because he was so confident, based on his peering into the sky with his telescope, that the world was definitely going to end on October the 22nd, 1844. That's when he thought Jesus was going to return. And uh, 100,000 people were incredibly disappointed with William Miller. In fact, there's a, there's a, you can read about it. It's called The Great Disappointment. You can imagine how great that disappointment was. My favourite was, um, there's one guy who published a book, 88 Reasons Why the End of the World Will Be in 1988. Uh, obviously that's not a bestseller anymore that book he published another book the following year which was entitled on borrowed time so it was lovely not surprisingly those books are no longer in print uh, but they have got some hilarious one-star reviews on amazon well what have all these people done completely ignored what jesus said haven't they verse 32 jesus says no one knows about that day or hour Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. He's saying, even I don't know. Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour. Now, the chap who wrote that book about 1988, he said, well, he said, don't know the day or the hour, but it doesn't say we can't know the month or the year. I think that's splitting hairs, isn't it? Jesus says, we don't know. So don't be consumed by trying to work out when's the end of the world going to be. But equally and oppositely, secondly, we shouldn't be contemptuous we shouldn't be contemptuous. You know, some people think, well, you know, there have been all these failed predictions of when Jesus is going to return. Maybe Jesus isn't coming back at all. You know, if you like, um, people have said, well, look, Jesus says he's coming back. Well, is he? He's taking his time. It's been 2,000 years. Is he really going to return at all? And they point to verse 30. Look at verse 30. They say... Um, This is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. But of course, well, that generation did pass away, didn't they? And people say, well, look, here we go. Jesus, he's predicting he's going to return soon. He never did. So maybe we ought to put Jesus on that list of failed apocalyptic prophets. I've heard uh, Quite a lot of people be contemptuous of Jesus for this. Why should we listen to Jesus? Why should we trust Jesus? Why should we believe that he's the son of God if he says, oh, well, I'm going to come back? And clearly they were all expecting him to come back, and he never did. And here we are, 2,000 years later, perhaps we're barking up the wrong tree. Well, the key thing is to understand what actually is Jesus predicting here. What is Jesus predicting? And if you look at the whole chapter... See, actually, the the bit that we read comes as part of a a wider, the context of it all, the whole of chapter 13. It says at the top, you've got that heading there, it says, signs of the end of the age. Well, look at verse 1. It says, Jesus was leaving the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. 
He was admiring the temple, and perhaps this was the first time he'd even seen the temple, if they were fishermen from Galilee, coming up to Jerusalem, to the capital city. And the temple that they were admiring was the second temple that was built in Jerusalem, and it had just been refurbished. So King Herod, who, the baddie from the nativity story, he paid for uh, the temple to be beautifully clad in white marble. And you can read about it, uh, the refurbishment of the temple. And so the disciples are going, wow, look at these, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus says, verse 2, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus is saying, you see this great temple? The age is going to end. The whole of the Old Testament era is going to come to a climax. It will, it, this temple, the Old Testament religion with its temple, its priests, its sacrifices, it will all end. And verse 3, as he was sitting opposite, looking at the temple on the Mount of Olives, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they said, when is this going to happen? What's the sign that they're going to be fulfilled? And so the whole of the rest of the chapter, including the bit that we read, is one great big answer to the question... When's the temple going to be destroyed? Now, the fact is that extraordinarily, Jesus' prediction that the temple was going to be destroyed did come true. So uh, in the late uh, 60s AD, so in other words, three or four decades after Jesus, uh, the tensions which there were in Jerusalem between the Jews and the Romans. If you read through the Gospels, you see that tension everywhere. There's centurions, there's Romans, and there's Jews. There was tension. And it escalated and escalated to the point where it became actually a full-blown war. Jewish-Roman war of 66 to 70 AD. And it finished with the Romans winning. So they besieged Jerusalem for several months. And in the summer of AD 70, Titus, he was the general of the army, became the emperor, Roman emperor eventually, but he was the general of the army at that point. And they marched on the city and they entered the city. And on August the 9th in AD 70, they... Uh, destroyed the temple and the following day August the 10th they set it on fire and in September of that year the whole of Jerusalem was plundered pillaged sacked burnt and he returned Emperor Titus to Rome with a hundred thousand Jewish captives and they celebrated the fact that the Romans had won the Jewish war his brother, Emperor Domitian, built Titus an arch. If anyone's if anyone been to Rome, you will have seen, if you have, the Arch of Titus. It's right there in the middle. And that was built to commemorate the fact that the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was beaten. And it became the model for all triumphal arches, including the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, which is a kind of a, a copy of the Arch of Titus. And so Jesus predicted that was going to happen. He said, look, not one stone will be left on another. And that temple was destroyed, never to be rebuilt. But so as part of his teaching about the end of the Old Testament age, actually, he was also looking forward. And there's another layer of fulfilment to the day when actually the whole of the world will end. So he was talking about a number of different things all at once. So when Jesus says, judgment is coming, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, that judgment did come. But equally it will come upon the whole earth, as we say. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And Peter, uh, the close friend and disciple of Jesus, who verse 3 says Peter was with Jesus when he said this, later on, Peter wrote to the churches concerning the end of the world um, in completion. He says, quote, You must understand that scoffers will come, contemptuous, 
They'll say, where is this second coming Jesus promised? But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So Peter's saying, well, look, the end of the world will come. It might be a, it might be a thousand years. It might be 2,000 years. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. In fact, the only reason for that delay is out of his mercy and his patience. And he wants everyone to come to repentance. But there will come a day when God says, time's up. And that's when the Lord will return. So don't be contemptuous. Jesus will return. But thirdly, that means for us today, don't be complacent. Don't be complacent because we might think, well, yeah, okay, Jesus might come back one day, but it's not going to be for ages. So I can just relax, can't I? Well, Jesus says, verse 33, be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when the time will come. And he gives a picture, verse 34. It's like a man going away, leaves his house, puts people in charge. Therefore, verse 35, keep watch. You don't know when the owner of the house is coming back, what time he's coming back. So I say to you, watch. I was having dinner with some friends. And one of them is a kind of casual conversation starter. I said, if you knew Jesus was coming back in six months, what about your life would change? (laughs) Wow, what a question. But that's the question for all of us, isn't it? It's a bit like someone's going away. The owner of the house is going away. They're going to come back. How do we feel as the occupants of the house about the return of the owner? Are we like a kid who's missing their father who's away on business? Can't wait for dad to come back. And eagerly anticipating that day when he's going to come back. And like looking at the window, is he coming? And then when we hear the door go, running, a father who's returned leaping into his arms daddy's home is it that kind of expectation or is it like the rebellious teenager who actually has got quite used to dad being away in fact he's moved into the master bedroom changed the locks raided the wine cellar throwing wild parties and he thinks yeah he's coming back maybe he won't come back he's not going to be back for a while Well, if he was, that teenager would have to quickly tidy up, wouldn't they? So as we enter Advent, how do we feel about Jesus' return? Are we looking forward to it? If we knew he was coming back in six months' time, how would our lives change, I wonder? So let's not be consumed. Let's not try and work out when it is. We don't know. But don't be contemptuous. It will happen. But So let's not be complacent. Let's do do as Jesus says and watch. Be prepared. Let's pray.